Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Forgive us if you're not part of Riverside Church family. We've got a bit of family news to catch up on this morning. If you're on our database, you will have heard that Jake and Emma had their baby, Ottilie Grace. We've got some pictures. Isn't she a cute little dot? I mean, she's adorable, isn't she? (laughs) That was on Tuesday. She was only £5, three, I think, two or three. And uh, so she's a little dot. They stayed in hospital for a few days, but they're all home now. So we just wish them lots of love. If you, um, they've got family staying uh, for the next like about week. So if you want to pop in or visit them, obviously text them beforehand or, or just you know don't bother. Just pray for them. <laughs> exactly. Basically, don't. They're just trying to get established, obviously. Um, and they've got both sets of parents live away, so they've got lots going on at the moment and just trying to establish themselves as a new little family. But yeah, be praying for all of them, pray that she puts on weight and I think she's had some jaundice, which is all very normal, but um, yeah, just be praying for her. How cute. Moving on, you may not have had the privilege of meeting Emily and Laura, who joined our church um, (laughs) last year, or Laura's parents, Richard and Sally. They're all in that little row there. You might not have had the privilege of meeting. They're all in life groups. And part of our um, church, if you haven't met them, then do say hello. But we just want to um, say how, um, not how, we all hugely want to congratulate you both because Laura and Emily got engaged. I think we've got a picture. They got engaged last week. (laughs) Sorry, they didn't know I was going to do that. Uh, So yeah, we want to send all our love and congratulations to all of you as a family and can't wait to hear all about it. Mark and Joe's life group would now like to come and share some exciting news about something that they're organising. Let's give them a warm round of applause. I think I'm giving it to Sarah first, am I? Yes, Sarah first. Morning. Um, We are a life group doing life together. Uh, There's also one other person. I don't think Val Pierce is here today. Um, otherwise, she'd be up here as well. So this is us. This is our life group. Um, small and perfectly formed. Small and perfectly formed. Really? <laughs> really. Right. So we are responding to a need um, in the community. It's a local charity that we are very aware of. I will hand over to Carrie in a minute um, because she's just going to explain what SNAP is all about and how amazing it is supporting young people and their families um, in the community, locally, but there's more. So I'll hand over to you presently. Presently. So, because <laughs> I will forget something. It's so amazing. I, I, was, I had the privilege of volunteering for one session in a holiday club and it was just incredible. So we, we want to support that as a life group. Um, so to do that, we thought we'd have a bit of fun. And rather than keep the fun to ourselves, we're going to invite you guys to, because it would be mean, wouldn't it, not to? So, <laughs> so we're going, it's twofold. Uh, we're going to have a quiz night on the 16th of June. So we're well in advance. So save the date. It's a Friday. Um, the quiz night's going to be held here in the cafe and lower lounge area. Um, so 
yep, book yourself a table. There'll be tables of up to eight, usual, usual things. And um, we have QR codes for you to book your table. We are. I know. See? Perfectly formed. We are perfectly formed and high-tech. So so that's the quiz night. So in conjunction with that, we're going to be drawing a raffle on that night. Um, So we we are armed and dangerous. We will be on the door selling raffle tickets. We have managed to uh, glean some amazing prizes from the community, as well as a £100 first prize, £50 second prize, hampers, all sorts of vouchers, uh, very similar to the Haven. So uh, thank you, Haven, for hints as to where to go. A fantastic local. uh, (laughs) So um, I'm going to hand over to Jo. um, But, yep. Hi, church. Right, so I'm going to interview you, Carrie, very, very quickly. No, no, I am. Um, I did warn you. <laughs> okay. Car- Carrie's been coming here for a year. Um, and Carrie, you're quite a new Christian, but very much developing. It's been a privilege to be on Carrie's journey. Absolutely. The questions have been amazing. But we've, I've, we've done our best. <laughs> and and you, you're an absolute witness to us. Um, so Carrie is the founder of Snap. So you may have met Carrie's son when she brought him in a couple of weeks ago for the Easter service. And when you were young, but you're still young, you know, when you were younger with your son, there were no activities, were there, in the area, in Herne Bay, in Whitstable, in the Canterbury area. And so what did you do? I set up Snap. So she founded this charity. And where does SNAP cover now? What sort of areas does it cover? So, um, oh, that's close. <laughs> um, so we're based in Herne Bay, um, out of a building called Windchimes, and we cover Canterbury, Whitsburn, Herne Bay predominantly, although we do have the KCC contract to run um, clubs for children with complex and severe needs in Dover, Folkestone and Sittingbourne. Okay. So give us a typical week... So it's not a holidays week, but a typical kind of term time week. Um, busy. Um, you don't know what you don't know what each day is going to be because it, we run a helpline for families that need support, and they're often in crisis. You don't know what the phone's going to be. We run weekly clubs. You know they're going to be busy. We've got a parent toddler group and an after school club and youth clubs. But you know the phone could go, and a parent's in crisis, and it, really the whole team sort of bails and helps out with that's food, whether that's you know support. Um, we, there's no, we don't have any red tape. We have no boundaries. If a family needs help, we'll do it. You have a very inclusive approach, don't you, to disabled children and families? Yeah, you don't have to have a diagnosis for a lot of our services. If if you feel you have a need, then you have a need. And you provide holiday clubs and activities, don't you? We do. They're not so much fun. <laughs> um, I like my desk. I'm a spreadsheets person, um, so my world gets turned upside down come the summer. Oh, the, the, the staff that run the clubs love it, um, you know, because the, there's clubs for all age ranges and there's many running on each day. But my life just becomes a nightmare during that period <laughs> because there's lots of children everywhere. There's lots of parents. And parents are struggling because of the holidays. I'm struggling because of the holidays. Um, yeah, it's, it spins. I, from, from the end of July onwards, it's just... Because it's just so busy, we just, we're just we always trying to fill gaps. So whenever there's a need, we'll just pile it into the mix. We're now trialling a Ticks and Tourette's Club because we've been made very aware about the, the, the empty pit that is 
that they, they're in when no services acknowledge them, and yet often they can't go out because it just, you know, their ticks can be terrible. Um, so we're trialling that because we've got nothing else to do. <laughs> OK, so you have some grants, don't you, to run SNAP, but with the cost of living, the grants has not quite covered what you need to provide these services. And so doing life together, that's what we're trying to do. We're very aware, we're very small. You know, loaves and fishes, five loaves, two fishes. We're only five loaves, right? So we're a very small group, but we're going to do life with you. And we're, we're absolutely committed to helping you make that deficit. So please support us with that. And, you know, amazing that an inclusive charity is part of our inclusive community here, isn't it? Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Well done, all of you. We really want to get behind this. Um, so there'll be more details to come uh, in the coming weeks. I'll email stuff out. But yeah, put that date in your diary. Which of is it? The sixteenth of June. Yeah, sixteenth of June. Get it in your diary, um, and we will make that happen and support you all as much as we can. Just to say, uh, the gift bags are going amazingly well at Pantry. We'll hear about that next week. But if you've got a friend or a colleague or somebody that you know who you think would benefit from a gift bag, go and speak to them at the Pantry table today after the service and uh, let them have your information and they will get that sorted out. Thank you to the team who are doing such a great job with that. Right, I'm going to welcome Simon, who's going to continue our series. Thank you very much. Can I just say, I just love that honesty. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Can we all try a bit more honesty? Yeah. I just love the fact, you know, just, just talking about the challenge. <laughs> no problem, thanks, Emmy. I heard you. Um, okay, we're continuing our Everyday Spirituality series. We're into week three now of this. Um, looking at how we can be more aware of God in the everyday, how we can be more uh, aware of God's presence, God's activity in our lives, looking at simple habits that will help us do that. Um, how we can connect with God more and more just in the normal. So week one, we looked at here, this idea of drawing ourselves into the present, the practice of invocation, speaking to our souls and telling us to turn up uh, in the present, to meet with God uh, in the present and recognising that God is in every moment of every day. Last week, Chris uh, spoke on worship uh, and how we can be more aware of worshipping God in the everyday and awakening ourselves to God's beauty and joy. Chris Blessing has been poorly since then. He's had a collapsed lung, so we need to pray recovery for him quickly. Um, so God, we just pray blessing and healing on Chris right now, in Jesus' name. We are aware that sometimes doing this is a battle, you know, without getting too spiritual about it. Sometimes when you step up and do things, there is a, a kind of a, a spiritual battle that takes place, so we, we pray blessing and protection uh, on Chris. If you missed either of those talks... Uh, we will get them on YouTube this week. We've been away. Uh, Jake's been busy with other things. Uh, so we haven't had a chance to edit those and get them up. But we'll get them up this week for you. Um, so uh, this week we're looking at the practice of thanks. Trying to be aware of thankfulness in every aspect of our lives. Giving God thanks in the everyday. And that awakens us to the goodness of God. The goodness of God in all of life. We're taught to say thank you, aren't we, from a very early age? Yeah? Do you remember as a child, you know, you, someone would give you something and your parent would nudge you and you're supposed to say thank you and you remember that you had to say thank you. It's part of learning your manners. Uh, you know, your mum and dad say, what do you say? What do you say? And you say, oh, yeah, thank you uh, and please. And you'd learn to be polite very, 
from a very, very young age, part of growing into an adult. And now it's conditioned, isn't it? Someone holds a door open for you, you say, thank you. You know, someone makes you a drink, you say, thank you. So saying thank you is part of, hopefully, good manners. But saying thanks to God isn't about being polite. It isn't about being polite to God. Expressing thanks to God is more about meaning than manners. More about meaning than manners. And when we make thanksgiving part of our everyday, it changes every aspect of our lives. It changes our perspective. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see the things that we steward. It changes the way we see other people. It affects every aspect of our lives if we allow thanksgiving to become part of our everyday take you way back now. My first job after leaving school was to become an engineering apprentice. I, uh, I got a job with a company called Pipework Engineering Developments, snappy title, um, in a faraway place called Great Bridge in a mythical land called the Midlands, <laughs> which we knew as God's country. <laughs> Pipework Engineering Developments, or PED for short, uh, they made high-pressure pipe work for power stations all over the world. And uh, I got a job with them way back in 1985, when I was just 18. Um, PED was a great company. It's, uh, give you an idea, its social club had six full-size snooker tables. So you could go and play snooker in your lunch area if you wanted to. It had its own crown green bowling uh, lawn. It, uh, it was a great company back in the day, quite a thriving manufacturing company. Even Steve Davis came to play an exhibition on our tables. Steve Davis, <laughs> six times world snooker champion. On his way up, he came to play an exhibition at PED. I was quite proud of PED, so many years later, after Key and I were married, I took her to see the factory where I'd done my apprenticeship, and it turned out that PED had become Asda. <laughs> which I thought was quite sad. Um, unfortunately, nothing lasts forever, and a lot of manufacturing in the Midlands is no longer there. So we showed, we <laughs> said, there's, there's Alistair, and uh, we drove off. Um, <laughs> but when I got that job, I was really excited because I would be earning my first wages. And I'd already decided what I was going to do with my first set of earnings. I was going to buy one of these. <laughs> now, this is the Tamiya Hotshot. Off-road, four-wheel drive, radio-controlled car. <laughs> what is there not to love about this? Um, so I decided with my first few sets of wages, I was going to save up and buy myself the Tamiya Hotshot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the women are going, what? Uh, <laughs> it's my first car, exactly. Now, back then, there was no internet, no flashy videos like that one to promote the Tamiya hot sauce. All I had was to gaze longingly at the box in the shop window, in the model shop, and I had a thing called a catalogue. <laughs> the catalogue was the old equivalent of what you now call phone scrolling. <laughs> so rather than scrolling through a phone, we would scroll through catalogues. And uh, I had this uh, uh, Tamiya catalogue with the hot shot featured in it. I've spent hours poring over this catalogue reading the specs about the Tamiya Hotshot and all the things you could do and 
And I'd owned rubbish remote control cars in the past, and I was determined I wasn't going to do that again. I was going to buy the Tamiya Hotshot. I wanted a proper one. The problem was, back in 1985, even then, this was £110 to buy. I know. And then you had to buy your radio gear as well. So by the time you added it all up, about £150 worth of equipment to buy the Tamiya Hotshot. My problem was, my weekly salary was £45. <laughs> So I had quite a bit of saving to do as an apprentice to save up to buy this. But I did. I saved hard, and I went to a shop, a physical shop, uh, in a place called Dudley, and I gave the man my money, and I walked away with my Tamiya Hotshot box. It came as a box of bits. It didn't even come as a whole car. You had to build it yourself. So I spent an afternoon building it with a friend, and we excitedly got out in the garden, and we started driving the Tamiya Hotshot. And it was great. Drove it around a bit. We even made a jump for it to jump over. And then after 10 minutes, it ran out of battery, which I was a bit sad about because the battery took about eight to 10 hours to charge up. So that was the end of the fun for that day. So we, we put it on charge and we came back the next day and then we drove the hot shot around the garden again. Actually, we took it outside onto the road and we drove it around the cul-de-sac. And that's what I discovered a design flaw in this car. When the battery got low... Basically, it starved the radio control gear of power and gave all the power to the motor. So if you happen to be going in that direction when your battery went low, then your car continued to go in that direction and there was nothing you could do to stop it. So here's me chasing down the road after my Tamiya Hotshock, grabbing it and thinking, oh, that's not quite as good as I thought it was. And that took the shine off it a little bit. Well, next day I drove the Hotshot a bit more and uh, a few weeks later I modified it so it didn't run off down the road on its own. Uh, but after a while, it just sat on the shelf, gathering dust. Uh, and then one day I got it out and I drove it. I managed to break the front suspension on it. And then it went from sitting on the shelf gathering dust to being in the back of the wardrobe. And when we moved down to Whitstable, I took it out the back of the wardrobe and I put it in the bin. I know, sad, isn't it? <laughs> that was the end of the Tamiya Hotshot dream. What did I learn from owning one? Well, I learned that I put far too much meaning onto this, this thing. I basically put far too much meaning onto owning this Tamiya Hotshot. As I poured over that catalogue and I studied every detail and I dreamed about owning this, this car, it took on a status that it could never deliver in real life. I was drawn in by the dream of owning this thing and I... But in reality, it was very ordinary, and it didn't really change my life at all in the way I thought it would. Thankfulness. We live in a culture where lots of meaning is attached to owning. Meaning is attached to owning. The more that we own, the more that we accumulate, then we think we'll have more meaning in this life. And that can really work against the practice and the habit of thankfulness. A lot of people in advertising spend a lot of time and a lot of money making you think about all the things that you don't have rather than being thankful for the things that you do have. They want you to think more and more about the things that you could have or maybe about the things that other people have rather than being thankful for the things that you currently do have. We live in a world of consumerism and consumerism really works against thankfulness. Consumerism robs the soul of happiness, sows uh, discontentment into our lives and encourages us that meaning and happiness are found in stuff. 
We just need to accumulate more stuff. Our happiness is just one purchase away, isn't it? Consumerism claims that owning something brings you meaning. And that's why we can struggle with thankfulness spiritually in the climate that we currently live in. It's a climate of consumerism. And I joked about your phones, but your phones are constantly pushing adverts. Your whole, every app on your phone is designed to monetize advertising. You know, however fun it is to watch TikTok videos or or whatever else it is, or Instagram posts, the whole thing is monetized. It's designed to sow into you uh, an idea that if you have this thing, or you get that thing, or you go to that place, or you look this way, then that's when you'll find meaning and happiness. And that can really work against being thankful in the moment, in the now. We're so conditioned to be dissatisfied that we forget to be thankful. The German theologian Meister Eckhart said this, if the only prayer you said in your whole life was thank you, that would be sufficient. That would be sufficient. When we say thank you to God, we're acknowledging his presence and his involvement in every area of our lives. And if we foster an attitude of thanks as an everyday habit, then it does change our perspective. It does change the way we live. So I want to give you four possible ways to think about that this morning. Now, as you sit here this morning, the last thing on your mind might be saying thanks to God. You might have had a really tough week, a tough month, a tough year. You might feel like more saying, well, thanks a lot, God, than thanks, because of what you're currently going through and your experience. So what's the good news for you this morning if you don't feel like being thankful? Well, the good news is you can start from where you are. In the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that Jesus is able to fully empathise with everything that we go through as humans. Every aspect of the human condition and circumstance and emotion, Jesus can fully empathise and understand what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. The message translation puts it like this. We don't have a high priest who is able to touch with our reality. So Jesus fully understands where you are in life and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. So if you don't feel like being thankful about your circumstances, you can simply say this, thank you, Jesus, that you fully understand what I'm feeling right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in touch with my reality and my experience. So you might not be able to be thankful for your situation, but you can be thankful in your situation. And there's a difference. You can recognise that Jesus is present with you and empathising with you in your situation, in your experience, in the emotions that you're going through. You see, thankfulness to God isn't about good manners. It's about God matters. God matters in the midst of your situation and your circumstance. Jesus is right there with you in the midst of your suffering or your joy. And when we say thank you to God in the everyday, it reconnects us with the reality of God's presence in our lives. Because the real meaning of life is not to be found in consumerism, it's to be found in communion with God. That's the real meaning of life. Your real meaning is to be found in your relationship with God. 
So the first thing we can do is start from where we are. Whatever you're feeling like this morning, if thankfulness isn't rising in your heart to God for your situation, you can say, thank you, God, that you're in my situation with me. You fully understand and empathise what's going on for me. The next thing you can do is try not to take things for granted. And this is something we all struggle with, don't we? Because in the everyday, in the ordinary, things are everyday and ordinary. Sometimes we forget to give thanks for the simplest things that we encounter. Kitty's mum and dad have moved house recently and she wanted to buy them a teapot uh, for their new kitchen. So she bought a teapot, but instead of the teapot being this big, it arrived and it was this big. So we had a spare mini teapot, which I <laughs> nabbed because I hadn't made tea in a teapot for goodness knows how many years. And I thought, I'm going to start making tea in the morning in a teapot. And guess what? Tastes better. I don't know it does or not, but it just feels like it tastes better. So this little teapot has become part of my morning routine. And every morning, I kind of give thanks for this little teapot. Because it's a very simple thing, but it just brings me pleasure. And it's a simple little teapot. And I just thought, isn't it lovely that I can make tea in a teapot in the morning? And it sounds daft, but I give thanks for it in the everyday. Uh, Because I think even the smallest things are really, really important to God. There's a Hebrew word, deinu, and it's, from, it's used in Jewish songs. Uh, and it's been part of the Passover celebration for thousands of years. And the, words mean, the word means, it would have been enough. It would have been enough. And it's used in the retelling of the, the Israelite story as they came out of Egypt. So they use it, if God, you brought us out of Egypt... Day and you, it would have been enough. If God has split the sea for us, day and you, it would have been enough. If God had led us through on dry land, day and you, it would have been enough. If God had provided for our needs in the wilderness for 40 years, day and you, it would have been enough. And so on, and so on, and so on. And so they use this word in this form, in this prayer, to say, God, I want to recognise that everything you've done for me, that would have been sufficient, that would have been enough to demonstrate your great love and your grace towards me. So day after day, you get sunlight, you get fresh air, you probably have food on your table, you have water that comes out of a tap, you have people around you who care for you, you have family, you have friends, You have probably a roof over your head that keeps you dry. You have some form of heating which keeps you warm. You can find rest. You have countless, 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 countless things that you could say, God, day and you, that would have been enough to give you thanks again and again and again. And the great temptation with living in a culture of consumerism is that we don't give thanks for any of these things because they're the ordinary and the everyday. We're being conditioned to want something more than what we have before us. And so we can start to take things for granted. And a great way to know that you are taking things for granted is that you start moaning and grumbling. (laughs) It's like a little, little indicator gauge. You start moaning and grumbling and being discontent and moaning and grumbling and 
And that's a good way to say stop and say, am I giving thanks in the everyday? Am I giving thanks for the, the little teapots of life that give me pleasure, that, that sustain me? Day in you, God, that would have been enough to demonstrate your great love for me. And when we start giving thanks for even the simple things that we no longer take for granted, we appreciate it's those things that give us contentment in our souls, not the things that we don't have, but appreciation for the things that we do have that really help us to find nourishment for our souls. So try not to take things for granted. Try to give thanks in all seasons. And this is hard. In the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel in in chapter 5, Jesus talks about all these different seasons we can find ourselves in. We can find ourselves in times of poverty and loss and grief and injustice and, and persecution, all these different aspects of life. And he says in this strange way that in every season there's a blessing. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And these are counterintuitive sayings from the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus has many more of these in this section in the Gospels. And as he does, as we listen to the words of Jesus, he enrolls us into this advanced kind of class of gratitude where we learn something of the kingdom of God, that we're called to give thanks in all seasons, not just in the seasons that we enjoy. And he says to us, there are advantages in the disadvantages. And there are disadvantages in the advantages. Blessed are the poor. Why? Because in some way they're liberated from the crushing weight of consumerism. Because the simplicity of their life can bring great joy. Some of the happiest people I've encountered were in a village down in Mozambique, where they had nothing. Yet they had great joy in God with incredibly simple, subsistent lifestyle because they weren't crushed by the weight of consumerism. There's blessings and advantages in the disadvantages. And there's disadvantages in what we perceive to be advantages. And Jesus took that whole concept to conclusion when he paradoxically died on a cross. The king chose to submit himself to a cross because that would bring ultimate freedom and hope and liberty to all humanity. And so in all seasons, Jesus draws us and calls us to give thanks, to be grateful not just in the good times, but also in the bad times, to be grateful not just in the plenty, but also in the need, to maintain thankfulness not just in laughter, but also in sorrow and tears. The words in Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That Hebrew word there is yardor, to give thanks. It means to hold out the hand or to throw a stone or an arrow. It's like you're throwing up something to God in worship or thankfulness. We think that lifting our hands in worship is quite a modern thing to do, but (laughs) it's been done for thousands of years, yardor, to raise our hands in worship and thankfulness. And so in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our heartache, our suffering, we can throw up a hand to God in worship 
and thankfulness. And when we do that, it's saying, God, in the midst of my suffering, I still trust you. In the midst of my suffering, I still give you thanks. In the midst of my suffering, I worship you. And that thanksgiving, that arm up to God, is like a conduit to allow God's life and love to flow back into our lives. You could argue that Jesus, who being fully God in human form, never needed to say thank you to God, his Father. But he too practiced thankfulness throughout his life. Before the feeding of the 5,000, he said, thank you. Before the feeding of the 4,000, he said, thank you. And before raising Lazarus from the dead, he said, thank you. And it seemed to be that as Jesus proclaimed thankfulness, there was a release of kingdom power, a release of the miraculous, dynamis nature of the kingdom that came and multiplied the loaves and fish. I'm sure we'll multiply the needs for that charity as well we talked about this morning. Multiplication, kingdom power, thankfulness, expectation. And when we say thanks to God in the midst of the difficulty and we don't yet see what's next, we sang that song this morning, didn't we, as well, which linked to that, what comes before, what's beyond, and what's coming, God. We're linking in faith, in thankfulness. We're saying, God, I thank you for who you are, I thank you for what you've done, and I thank you for what you're going to do. It goes beyond our natural circumstances. It goes beyond what we see in the present. The amount of bread and fish was utterly inadequate to feed the thousands, and yet Jesus said thank you. Lazarus had been dead for four days, not four minutes. Yet Jesus said thank you. Back in Psalm one one eight, as all the nations surrounding me, they swarmed around me like bees. I was pushed back and about to fall, but give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. In the midst of the difficulty, thanks rises. And so when we give thanks in the midst of difficult times, we're connecting ourselves with that kingdom promise that God will bring all things to conclusion. He will make all things right. It's much easier to give thanks after the event, isn't it? when we've seen what it is we want, when we've seen the change, the shift. Yet Jesus said to Thomas, you, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet will believe. There's a kingdom premise here that we can take on into thankfulness. And that's the last point I want to say. Remember, thanksgiving is an act of faith. When we give thanks, it speaks of God's promise. It speaks of the coming kingdom. And we are kingdom people. If we follow Jesus, we are kingdom people. We are continually, we've said before, drawing the future into the present. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're pulling the future into the present. And thanksgiving is a key part of that. It's a key part of that dynamic. If our thanksgiving is just limited to what we see in the natural, then we're not taking on that kingdom perspective. And it limits our ability to develop kingdom mindsets. In Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church there, he encourages the followers of Jesus by saying these words. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, 
not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This can be a really hard thing to grasp, particularly in the midst of difficult circumstances. But giving thanks can really help us, really help us. God, I thank you that I'm seated with Christ. That's the reality of what your word says to me. I thank you I have a new life in Christ. I thank you I'm hidden in Christ. I thank you that my future hope is secure and nothing can change that. I might be having the worst day possible, God, (laughs) but I thank you that nothing can take away your great love for me. Nothing can take away my future hope. My future is fixed in heaven, and that is unassailable. What happens on earth cannot change that. So, God, I just take my loaves and fish, and I put them into your hands, and I say, will you multiply them? Will you multiply them? Thank you that you can multiply them. I thank you, God, I can bring what's dead, and you can raise it to life. So here's my Lazarus today. Here's my Lazarus for you to resurrect. In the book of Revelation, the saints in the throne room of God say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was, sorry, who is and was, because you've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. Thanksgiving right now is taking place in the throne room of heaven. So we can thank God in advance for the fact his gospel is extending over the whole earth. We can thank God in advance that many, many people encounter his love and his forgiveness and his life. We can thank God in advance for the people that will be healed and will be restored, set free, resurrected. So we're living in a world that is always holding out hot shots to us. (laughs) So I've got a question for you. What's yours? What's yours? What's the world holding out to you this morning that is promising meaning or promising happiness or promising satisfaction or fulfillment? It probably won't be a radio control car, but it might be something else that has captured the affections of your heart, promising you meaning. As we gaze on these things and our devices, we can be forget to be thankful for everything that we have already in our lives, the everyday, the day in you. We become dissatisfied with the here and now, with the present. We said the first week, didn't we? we abdicate being present because we project ourselves into a fantasy future where we have the things that we think we need. But if we practice thankfulness to God, it draws us back in to the present, draws us back in to the everyday. And it reminds us that God is fully here with us now. And we can be grateful and satisfied for what he has provided for us. As we integrate thankfulness into our lives, we awaken more and more to God's goodness, more and more to God's provision, more and more to a deeper sense of communion with him. Expressing thanks to God is about meaning, not about manners. And the more we say thank you to God, it changes the dynamic of our meaning on this, the way we live our lives on this planet. It changes everything. And you can start from where you are this morning, giving thanks for the simplest things in life. Start by trying not to take even the ordinary for granted. Thank God for all the simple things in your life. 
And maybe if you're in a hard season this morning, it's an act of faith, express thankfulness to God that he's fully aware and can understand right where you are. And as you express thankfulness in a hard season, it's an act of faith, of belief in the coming kingdom of God. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>